0: Hello and welcome to The Sleeper in the Bus. This is episode 122. Uh, I am your host Nicholas Minix, back for try number 2, uh, and uh, here with me is Eno Saris, everyone's favorite uh, partner in crime.
1: And, and today, hopefully, you can hear us well and, and loud and clear, and, um, and we won't have any uh, posting issues, so it won't post it about midnight like it did last time. That's, that's on me. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I'm glad you're sticking with us, and uh, I think we're really going to hit the round, ground running today.
0: Yes, I agree. Uh, I, I think that just like the Royals and, and uh, new hitting coach that they have over there in Dale Swaim... Uh, we've made a slight adjustment to the personnel, although it's primarily the personnel with the equipment and not with the people. <laughs> and if that ends up screwing up things, then uh, then we may have to look at the people involved, and that would probably be me. So uh, without further ado, we'll get to the Royals hitting coach thing in a bit. Uh, but first, uh, big topic, obviously kind of a favorite of, of a number of us around here, uh, is Adam Arvino. Uh, last night, I believe, uh, Latre Hawkins was – Uh, handed a loss uh, uh, and I don't think it was necessarily entirely his fault, but again, it's another uh, check mark in the negative column for him. I think so uh, overall just seems like eventually there needs to be a change in Colorado simply because uh, LaTroy Hawkins is old and pitches like it.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, just all those balls in play. We talked about it. I I did want to bring it up really quickly just because um, I don't know, didn't actually play. In that game, he didn't actually pitch in that game, and so you you could look at that lineup and say, oh, okay, well, what if? Uh... And it's also funny that Hawkins got the hold and <laughs> and the loss. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh Ottavino um, didn't pitch, and I don't know why, but I'm not I'm not too worried about it because Rex Brothers still pitched the seventh inning. Yeah, so I I think that 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 firmly puts Brothers in the seventh inning firmly puts him as sort of a lefty, you know, lefty setup guy to the setup guy rather than anything else. And um Adovino's still my guy and I I think those balls and players starting to come home to roost.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I think I think it's a positive if you're looking to be an out of any an Outvinno owner or uh if you already are one, which I would hope that it's the latter. Uh but yeah, I mean, I think the the usage tells us something um I, I'm going to go out on a limb here say i mean i'm uh i'm a phillies fan but i didn't get to watch that game uh i do know i mean obviously it's typically it's a lineup that is um loaded with uh left-handed hitters uh or regulars left-handed hitters and i think you know perhaps that is that was a factor but out of you know also i think he had pitched on each of the previous two days and so maybe that affected his availability uh but whatever the case is
1: Seven outs in two days, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably why I didn't pitch again.
0: So he he looks like our guy here uh, in the short, long term, whatever. It looks like I mean he looks like a fantastic fantasy pickup and probably should not be out there uh, in in pretty much most leagues. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving into uh in the white Sox situation ronald belisario believe this is like the fourth time out of five chances that he has not converted to save situation uh last coming uh, last night on wednesday uh, and overall i mean it's a guy that we kind of like the skills overall because he's primarily a ground ball artist i believe in that park i mean i think that that's one of the major pluses for him but uh uh, beyond that he just hasn't gotten the job done and sooner or later that's probably going to affect decisions there but what do you what do you think about the, the long term of the situation other than the fact that in at least in mixed leagues i want no part of it
1: yeah they you know i think you know, what's funny is i learned recently that that colette actually disagreed with me and, and <laughs> daniel webb daniel webb was his guy i don't know why he please do not hold back if you disagree with me i i think that it's going to be ronald belzario for a little a couple more chances at least i mean um he blew the the save but he got the win which makes no sense but he blew the save got the win (laughs) and i think that you know and i might have been surprised to some people after he gave up three runs to blow a save in new york so um, you know, that's that's not the greatest first two uh, attempts out there. But uh, if there's any team out there that is thinking about keeping their guys cheap for the future, I have to think it's the White Sox. They're not really in contention this year. And they're run by basically a stat guy in Rick Hahn. So I, I think if there's any team out there that, that is like, well, we're kind of punting this year. Belzario isn't going to be with us next year and we can still give Daniel Webb high leverage, you know, situational, you know, we can give him experience in high leverage situations in the eighth inning and the seventh inning without making him super expensive. So I think, I think they're just going to, it's going to be one of those years where, you know, Belzario does it ugly until Lindstrom comes back and, you know, both of those guys give you, together basically the worst closer in baseball
0: <laughs> behind Latroy Hawkins for as long as that lasts yeah, yeah I, I, I and I can't uh, disagree I think that that's excellent insight as far as uh, the nature of the White Sox's front office I mean I think that uh, there's there's nothing about the situation that says I want to touch it as far as fantasy purposes go and I think uh, what you hit there is pretty spot on I don't see any reason um, that the White Sox need to rush Daniel Webb into a role that uh, is only going to uh, have financial implications for them down the road. I do uh, wonder if John Axford might eventually get his job back here in the near future. Uh, I guess Cody Allen has not pitched extremely well here recently. Uh, Brian Shaw also gave up uh, gave up some damage uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, it's not been the case that these these guys primarily have been handling high leverage situations. Uh, for Cleveland recently. So uh, it begs the question, you know, is Axford uh, due to get a chance here sooner or later? He has pitched a little better. Uh, what, are your, what is your take on that situation?
1: He has pitched a little better. You know, he keeps having these two walk outings that just destroy his walk rate. And he's got, right now, he's got a 7 per 9 walk rate, which is just nasty. But, you know, three straight appearances without a walk, uh you know i just i can't tell i can't tell what's going on there i i do think that brian shaw is not i think he's the furthest from saves because he keeps getting used in the 8th inning and he kind of has the skill set to you know kind of be their new joe smith where he gets a lot of grounders. He, I mean, he gets a little. He gets more strikeouts than Joe Smith did, but he doesn't quite have velocity. And Joe Smith was always like eighty-eight, eighty-nine, ninety. So I think I think in a way, Brian Shaw's their new Joe Smith. You know, Cody Allen could be, you know, their new Chris Perez. But I think they'd rather it be John Axford for financial reasons again, in case they don't. It doesn't pan out for them this year. Um, and and, and also just because Cody Allen is not getting it done. Uh, which yeah. I think, you know, if, if if there were no financial considerations at all, I would 100% bet on Cody Allen. He has the velocity. He has a strikeout rate. He has no real things that I'm worried about. You know, just a, a couple, few too, too many walks right now. You know, I I would pick Cody Allen in a second. Um, so if the, if I'm going to own anybody right now, it's Cody Allen.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally understandable. I think... I mean, I think you can make the justification. I mean, I think he was – Axford was let go in Tout Wars this past weekend, and I thought that that was quite a rash move. Um, uh, So, I mean, I I think given the way Terry Francona typically seems to have, like, a a lot of loyalty to a lot of his guys and that it took him a while to to make the move and and then also, like you said, I mean, there's financial considerations when it comes to Cody Allen in the long term. Uh, It seems likely that Axford, I think, is going to get a shot – whether that's within the next week or it's not, you know, for a few weeks or whatever that is. Um, it just, this is one of those things that I mentioned this to Jason, and, and uh, it's more just an open-ended question, or I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to research it. But uh, just uh, to me, it's it's just, it begs the question, uh, why is it that uh, relievers, I mean, like you said, Axford has gone three straight appearances without uh, walking anyone, um, struck out five in, in uh, three and a third innings, and, and just has been, I mean, He's been effective, and I don't think it's just because, I mean, there's always something that they make as far as a mechanical tweak or something like that. And I don't understand why teams or why pitchers in a situation like that, because, for instance, Axford is in the role of closer, why there's not some examination of his process before he actually is taken out of the job. If if he's obviously doing something wrong to Uh. begin with.
1: Yeah. The, the idea, it's like the Freire idea, like if Freire had a change to make and they, and it seems like every time he loses his job, he has, oh, he's like, oh, I, I have this change to make. And then he makes the change and he gets the job back. You know, why didn't they just do that while they were, while he was the closer?
0: Yeah. And I can understand uh, implementing, you know, trying to implement these things in less uh, tense situations. But I think it's also, I mean, it begs the question, I mean, why let it go on for so long? for instance with Axford, I mean I, I think if if you're going to continue to evaluate this process at some point you've probably concluded that it's a a mechanical thing for instance uh, I mean I guess it just it's like well this lasted for a month and a half and uh you know I mean the walks were continually a problem so <laughs> I don't know I I think it's just it's a it's a strange way I think to uh, well I mean I, I certainly understand uh you know when he's as far as testing things out when if you make some changes and things like that um that you want to put them in, in low lever situations uh, and what have you but it seems like it takes uh oftentimes to these teams too long to uh, maybe it's a, uh, somehow a testament to their loyalty to them or something like that but they're they're too hesitant to make the switch uh or to or to assert that there's anything wrong with those things or anything like that I mean it just takes them a while and then all of a sudden it's like I just I guess it it makes me wonder what information that they have uh, that uh, that leads them to that point to make decision as opposed to if they make some observations uh, that are that have to do with something mechanically or anything like that why they don't address it sooner rather than later, but
1: yeah I, I have the feeling that that this is in the purveyance of the of the manager and so the manager is looking at different data than the front office and I I still think that there's a little bit of a gap there that a good team um, could do a better job of sort of getting information to uh and, and and not just getting information to the to the players and to the managers because they get tons of information every team every player and manager gets tons of information but getting it to them in a way where it sort of emphasizes that they're expected to ingest it and they're, <laughs> inspe- they're expected to, to to really think about it and that this is important to the team and not just like here's a pamphlet like i've seen people look at pamphlets I don't know who it was that I was, I was listening to, but some guy was like, what does this even mean? And he <laughs> called a coach over and was like, what do these three letters here mean? It says like, you know, it says like good with FBH2O or something. And he's like, what does that mean? And and the guy's like, oh, I think it means like, you know, he likes the fastball in the outer half or something. And they were kind of sitting there like looking at this and they didn't even know. So I think there's there's something there that's missing. I think also, uh, from talking to players, one of the biggest tensions in baseball is between, uh, between the idea, uh, uh, this got me here, you know, you know, I've had success with this, so why should I change, right? And the idea that, uh, well, if I just keep doing this, I'll get the success back. I mean, I actually talked to Josh Reddick and I had this interview where he literally said, I've got this uppercut swing, When it works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And and I'm looking at him like, you're like, (laughs) it's not working, dude. You're like going to hit 210 the rest of your life. And you know that you're choosing to hit 210 because you think you can get those 30 homers again, but it's just not going to work like that. So I'd much rather – I like players that struggle and really change. Alex Gordon comes to mind. He really changed his swing plane, changed a lot of things about him. And so when I I think that they're going to hit struggles again, I I feel like they'll come out of it. Uh, Axford has struggled before, and he's come out of it. It may just be little small sample stuff, uh, but he's always had control issues. So I can't speak to the very specifics of this. The Indians actually seem like a pretty saber-savvy front office. And I don't know how they make these sort of decisions when it comes to closers. In my opinion, it's probably just the manager making these decisions and the the front office is probably saying, you know, what, we think those are three decent pitchers right there, Shaw and Axford and, and Allen. And we almost don't care too much about how you use them because we figure it's all going to even out. They're all in high leverage and we think they're good pitchers, you know, when, when you,
0: yeah, for sure. That that makes a lot of sense and like I said, I mean, if it's up to the manager and uh I mean, he's basing it, he may read this information and think it has only so much has only so much value and so uh you know, he makes his decision based on what he observes more often than not uh, likely as a case probably with uh, with Tito is
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's a he's a decently saver guy, so you know, he you know, that might be why he thinks you know, Axford can get back in there. It's just, Oh, it's just a bad early sample with a couple of bad walks. And then he'll see, you know, weeks worth of no walks and say, I think it's time for Axford to go back in there.
0: Yeah, that could certainly be the case. Uh, well, and, uh, I guess speaking of some bullpen, just a, a real quick situation probably to touch on is that Jer- Jericho Familia recorded a save in one or two or third innings, uh, one, two thirds innings on Wednesday. Um, there's a situation where, uh, I mean, I think that they didn't want to change the arrangement uh, once the Mets had tacked on some runs. But uh, regardless, I mean, he, he picks up his first major league save, uh, seems, to, seems to suggest perhaps that he is uh, next in line there. Uh, what is, you have any takes on him as far as his long-term outlook uh, and, and as it relates to the rest of the bullpen?
1: Yeah, he's got this crazy movement on his fastball, and I think it's just, it's, it's just, I think impossible for him to command it. That's why you see these crazy walk rates and, you know, it's, they were showing some pictures of Bartolo Colon's fastball and how much it moves. And I, I kind of get that same, same feeling from Familia where I actually saw him throw a pitch to uh, Solarte, I think, and he threw it on the, on the inner half of the plate. It started off of the inner half of the plate. It started as a ball on the inside and ended as a ball on the outside, so he basically threw a pitch that moved across the entire strike zone, and I think you know, what? How are you going to put that in the strike zone? So I, I that's why from the beginning, even though Familia has more gas than Mejia, I've thought I thought it would be Mejia. I, I think there's a usage thing going on too. I, it's interesting to think that they just tacked on runs and decided to go with the same bullpen that they were doing or whatever. But um, it, also Mejia pitched twice in the last two days and one of the two innings. So he pitched three innings in the last two days. He's just getting used to the sort of bullpen usage. And uh, and I don't think it's really a threat to Mejia. I think Mejia's got that role. If Mejia's on your waiver wire, I actually like him a lot. I think he's going to, you know, get 15 to 20 saves for the rest of the season. I think he's going to be really good at it. I think he's going to be their closer for four or five years maybe even. Um, and the reason that I like this, I say these things, is because he's always had a good – Arsenal he has three solid pitches he has more command than than uh than familia and now that he's in the bullpen his velocity has jumped up his velocity has jumped up to about you know 94 I'm, I'm pulling it back up again i was looking at it earlier but uh yeah he's he's averaging around 94 in the pen as opposed to you know 91 92 so 94 in the pen familia is only you know 95 or so so He's 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 reduced that velocity difference between the two, and he's obviously got more command and more pitches. So, I, I like Mejia a lot. I think I would get him in a lot of places.
0: Yeah, I could certainly understand that. Do you think uh, do the Mets? And I haven't seen anything uh, to, to suggest otherwise, but do the do the Mets want to continue uh, to? I mean, look at him as a starter long term. Is there any? Uh, I mean, is that that's, effect?
1: That's out. I think that's done. I mean, this was the year that he was supposed to do it, um, and they, they tried to build him up as, as much as they could. He, he, I think last year was one of his career highs. In, well, no, no. Last year he, he, he pitched 40 innings for the year, 50 innings for the year. But 2012 was maybe his career high in innings where he actually got to about 108. So we're talking about a guy who's been pitching since 2008 in the Mets minor league system. And he's never topped 108 innings. They were, you know, they were getting to the point where he's out of options. He's, you know, if they put him in the minor leagues, he either has to clear waivers or, or you know, go back, you know, unprotected for the rule five. I mean, that's that's where he was at. And I think when they took when they said, okay, here you're the start of this year, and then every time the fourth or fifth inning rolled around, he just uh, fell apart. I think they said, okay, this guy just doesn't have. You know the the stamina that it takes to, to be a starter, and I don't know that I'd totally agree. But I hate to feel authority. But in this case, maybe you know what talking about maybe watching him and they just say this guy. You know, every time we we tested with him, something breaks.
0: Well, in that case, I'm convinced. And I, I, mean, I did like Mejia there as well. I think he he just seems to work out much better as a closer for them. Yeah obviously obviously, uh, Braves have been – uh, this is the kind of thing that's been anticipated for a little while. The Braves have made a change uh, at second base calling up Tommy LaStella. This is kind of anticipated, not necessarily a guy who plays in mixed leagues. But uh, do you think that is – do you think that could change in the short term? I mean, is this guy who plays in mixed leagues um, or is this strictly an NL only player? Uh, and regardless, is this a player that people want to own?
1: I think there's a couple of different answers to that. In terms of like on-base percentage leagues, then – He's probably a mixed leaguer because he could put on up like a really plus on base percentage. I mean, his lowest on base percentage in the minor leagues is three eighty four. He he walked an immense amount. I mean, he walked about fourteen percent of the time in the minor leagues. So, I think you know on base percentage leagues, everything's a little bit looks a little bit nicer with him. Um, in terms of uh, you know regular leagues, I, the way I put it is kind of like Matt Carpenter. I think that the risk and the reward is a little bit like Matt Carpenter. He's younger than Matt Carpenter, so maybe the long term upside might actually be a little bit better. But I think Matt Carpenter's sort of career so far describes the ups and downs of Estella and that, you know, when everything goes right, he can be a plus run provider because, you know, if the if the if the Braves offense gets together and he's part of that. He's going to be at the top of the order. He walks. He sprays to all fields. It's very much like Matt Carpenter. But then, you know, and then you look at this year's version of Matt Carpenter where the power's not there. He's not stealing bases. And all of a sudden, all you have is like a 280 batting average with a decent amount of runs. And that doesn't feel like a mixed leaguer, I don't think. So I don't know if you've got any more insight on Lestella. I I think he's he's a tweener in a way.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I mean, he's somebody. He's somebody I'm going to examine. I will, I will not be shy about saying so in, in uh, tout this coming week. I mean, I could use an alternative at second base, and uh, Matt Carpenter happens to be my second baseman. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so in a sense,
0: I'll be basically uh, emphasizing a down. bit of dupli, a bit of duplicity. But um, I, I've exited all players that I had uh, otherwise uh, eligible at second base, and I think uh, primarily because. Uh, that's, well, uh, FYI to folks, I mean, that is an OBP league. I would probably pretty much have no interest in him otherwise uh, if, if, if it wasn't. And uh, I think that that's, I mean, I, I, he, I believe he went to uh, two for four in his debut. Uh, obviously, it's a pretty good start. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm primarily looking at this guy because he draws so many walks. And I'm not sure where he's going to hit in the order on a regular basis, uh, but pretty much anywhere is none of this is really going to matter. Ultimately, you know, he might, he's, he's probably going to steal a handful of bases, um, might hit a couple of home runs, but uh, I would really appreciate anything he did in the OBP category. And uh, uh, that's, that's, it's good enough. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of the same thing as in a 15 team mixed league. You used to add, uh, I don't know, Andre Scalarago because he hit for a really good average or something. I mean, I'm just throwing out a guy who hit for a really good average. James Loney is, uh, is, is, Although he's added a little power this year for some reason, but uh, I mean just a little.
1: <laughs> and when we we're in like yeah, when we we're in like tout or whatever. You know, we're we're basically. I mean, we're a, we're not quite there, but we're basically in a in a warm body league mm-hmm. where you know anybody who's going to start every day is going to be owned.
0: And that's what you know? that's why I like it. Uh, I mean, I, I like fifteen team mixed leagues as opposed to. Uh, 12 teamers because there's just too, there's a little too much cycling for me possible. I mean, I like I like that you can acquire a little bit of depth or that the the goal is somewhat is to acquire some depth and, and uh warm bodies and things like that can matter. Um but uh, and yeah, I think Lastella qualifies as a really good warm body in an OBP league and is just a body. I mean, he's maybe lukewarm uh, otherwise.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's all, the 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 downfall I think of, of these like that is that it, it, and we're right in the crux of this because we're like, you know, 10th and 11th out of 12. Or no, we're like four, 13th and 14th out of 15. <laughs> um, it's hard sometimes to, to claw out of the basement. Yes. So and, and that's, you know, we actually face a penalty um, in our in our FAB money for next year.
0: There's a lot of incentive not to finish down there.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm not giving up. I think I had a, I had a penalized week where I lost a full week of stats, and it's going to be very hard for me to come back. But I'm going to do everything I can just to get to 6th and 7th, and I'm not giving up on that league. And, and I just spent a bunch of money on another guy. I, I don't know that we talked about him, though. It was Odor.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we didn't. Uh, R- Rugnet Odor, um, and, who was called up... Uh, Not too long ago, and uh, I'm glad you said his first name. (laughs) I think that's the first time I pronounced it correctly, to be honest. Um, (laughs) uh, And I'm glad you brought him up too, because um, I'm bitter because you know uh, your your Fab total is victory down to twenty bucks, I guess. Uh, But you, I think you bid twenty one, and I bid nineteen. So it was another guy that we competed heavily for, and again, I mean, I was just. I was hoping- so now you
1: have the money for La Stella, who's probably a better fit for our league because you know Adora's not gonna walk a lot and I'm just I'm I'm hoping for you know a plus batting average on balls and play really to to help, you know, raise everything up or otherwise I've got a guy who's got just a yeah, actually he has he has more power than La Stella and more speed, but you know who knows who knows what his on base percentage will look like.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be keen on what his OBP is going to look like. I was just primarily, I was, I was really interested in uh, the impact I think he could make. I, I mean, I think he'll have a little bit of freedom to run if he's as long as he continues to hit near the bottom of that lineup. Um, uh, especially if it's if he's basically serving as a, kind of a second leadoff hitter uh, a number of times through the lineup. Uh, but I mean, I think that I mean he's, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a really efficient base stealer. Uh, and Ron Washington likes to be aggressive, so I mean, he was—he was a player who really interested me because I'm—I'm kind of concerned about uh, where I'm going to finish in in stolen bases. Uh, Primarily, uh, it's a lot of that has to do with the fact that Jose Reyes is a large contributor for me in that category, and uh, I mean, I could lose him tomorrow, or I mean, I could lose him four months from now, but I'm still convinced that sooner or later I'm going to lose him again. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm i pretty convinced that we won't see jerks in profile at least. So I thought here's a guy who's, you know, has is definitely a warm body, you know, will start at second, I think most of the time. And uh, we'll, we'll play the rest of the year. He bats left handed, which I like. So even the worst case scenario is a two thirds platoon, you know, at the MI position. And then there's always the chance, I think, with a guy like this to catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, there's you know his minor league stats are pretty good. He's you know he had some years with the you know two twenty ISO, uh, you know and stolen bases. He's a, he's a good little player. So um, you know it, it, it's he's more of a he's more of an upside play I think in mixed leagues in a way because of his power and speed. If you're not in an on base percentage league, he's the guy who could hit two eighty with with double digit, you know steals and, and a good amount of homers whereas lestella is just going to be a kind of a one category guy but interesting to have both those guys kind of come up at the same time
0: it is it is and um i agree with your assessment and uh, as a result i can't wait until i win lestella and then trade him to you with a little bit of fab for odor so <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something i i thought is maybe worth a little bit of talking about is uh is the fact that uh, the nationals say that uh yeah, last week uh, he was spotted uh, working out and uh, fielding fly balls with the with the thought that he could play a little bit of left field, but they kind of denied that, said it was just for his fitness, which is kind of a dumb thing to say in my opinion. But anything, anyway. I mean, it's certainly like not like he can't get his fitness in any number of other ways. But uh, uh, now they've kind of acknowledged that uh, they're they're going to look to play Zimmerman in a number of positions when he comes back, namely third base, first base, and left field uh, upon his return from the disabled list. Uh, and, you know, that's still a little bit ways, a little bit of a ways out. But uh, I mean, it, it kind of begs uh, begs a number of questions, I think, as far as the arrangement of the roster, because still uh, I still have to wonder going forward, uh, especially once he comes back, whether that's something that they can realistically stick to uh, or what uh, based on the play of, for instance, Adam LaRoche, uh, Danny Espinosa is really disappointed. Uh, Kevin Franson is Kevin Franson. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's you know, in, in the end, is there really any benefit to playing Zimmerman anywhere else besides third base?
1: Well, do they they actually, do they sign LaRoche for another? Oh, they did. They signed him for next year, too? No, they signed him for this year, and they have an option year for next year. Yes. Well, I think that, you know, there is some benefit from a team perspective of, you know, can can we use Zimmerman at, At first, and 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 let Laroche go, but the problem is Laroche is playing well. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't expect this. I thought Laroche would hit 220, 230 this year, Uh, have another year like last year, and um, he's got a little bit of a mini resurgence, best swing strike rate of his career, which is just weird. (laughs) <laughs> and uh paired with decent contact so i mean yes the the batting average and balls in play will come down but no matter what by the end of the season you'll be looking up with a at a probably a 270 batting average and 20 homers 20 you know could be even so i feel like you know that's that's not that's not an argument for him to show up um you know in there i get and you're not going to you know Ryan Zimmerman's not going to be a super utility guy so I think Danny Espinosa has played his way into a super utility role. And you know, they're just gonna live with Zimmerman's throwing arm, I guess.
0: Yeah. I Espinosa has more so hit his way into that role than he has defensively because he's still excellent defensively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
1: and it's air quotes around hit. <laughs> <laughs> has uh, has
0: has not has unhit his
1: way. I mean what's the <laughs> I guess what you could also do with by doing that is add yourself a little flexibility in the offseason in terms of who you can sign and who you can trade. You know, can you trade worth? Can you and, and, and make Zimmerman an outfielder because you've seen you know some of that out there? Can you buy a second baseman and 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 find a place for Zimmerman by putting uh, by putting uh, you know Rendon over at third? So maybe it's a little nod to the future. Maybe it's just. Well, we have a bunch of injured outfielders and we need an outfielder right now. I Maybe mean, it's just that. I don't, it does seem to actually be a little bit of a difference, though. I mean, basically, what they're saying in a way is that we, in a way, we like Rendon a little bit more than you, you know, because we want to keep Rendon at second and third and not, you know, and not screw with him too much. But oh, Ryan Zimmerman, you can go play left field and prefer, <laughs> we'll use you or we can use you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I, and I think it's, um, Considering that the throwing arm, I mean, obviously Zimmer won't necessarily have to make as many throws from the outfield, but I mean, what's he going to accomplish? I mean, he's eventually going to start underhanding balls from left field and and he can, he can certainly fill in for Bryce Harper in the short term. But, um, I mean that, you know, eventually,
1: yeah, I'm run the ball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, you know, Zimmerman used to steal a few bases. I mean, he has a little bit of speed. Maybe that is more efficient than him throwing the ball in.
1: <laughs> the throws look so bad. <laughs> they do. I mean, I, I think I would if it was my team, I would I would this would be about the future in terms of him being a first baseman. Maybe I'd trade I don't know, can you trade Laroche? I mean, this guy's you know, anybody could have had him. So, I I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's it's uh Ultimately, Washington has to commit to Zimmerman at first base. Maybe it's just something that they've been reluctant to uh, kind of admit to themselves, I guess. Uh, But I mean, you know, one way or the other, I mean, LaRoche is doing himself a favor to where, you know, his, I I don't know uh, whether it's a mutual option, club option, player option, whatever it is, but uh, uh, it seems unlikely that they'll be together next season. uh, And and Zimmerman belongs at first base uh, because, on the rare occasions that he has to throw the ball, then maybe it won't be a big deal. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's I think it's ludicrous to think that uh, uh, in the short term that they could expect him to play any kind of left field. And, and you know, uh, Nate McCloud is uh, I mean, he's not the worst backup outfielder, although he's hit like it uh, re, uh, to start. I mean, he, I think he went when
1: for- they signed him. I thought he was one of the best. He would be one of the best fourth outfielders. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And last night, last night he went four for four. So hey, you never know.
1: <laughs> all, right, all right, here it comes. It was worth, I thought that they really had a great off season in terms of. I thought they just needed depth, and they went and got, you know, they got Fister, which pushed everybody down in the rotation and gave them a better sixth uh, six starter. I thought they needed depth, you know, um, in terms of in the lineup, and they went and got McLeod, So
0: the bullpen, yeah. I,
1: I think that, you know, they, they did everything they needed to do. I think they're going to be there in the postseason. And I think they'll be kind of nasty if, if Gio's healthy and Zimmerman gets it back together again. Have you seen anything in, in, in Zimmerman's line that explains what's going on? Because, you know, that's a chat question I get a lot. And in terms of strikeouts and walks, like, you know, it, he's ha- he actually has one of the best strikeout minus walks rates of his career, best swing and strike rate of his career. You know his best or second best ground ball rate of his career, and just this crazy batting average on balls in play. And I can't, I can't point to anything. You know, there's no velocity loss. There's no crazy change in his pitching mix. I don't, I can't explain it. I think it's got to be luck.
0: Yeah, I really don't know what else to call it. I mean, uh, yeah, contact rate him is uh, prime I mean, obviously, uh, his contact rate against has been really uh, notably kind of steady I think in the last few years and this year it's 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 down considerably and I think that that's I mean everything just says positives I mean it it almost makes me you know is this kind of a similar situation to Homer Bailey where I mean he was he had fantastic peripherals and this was not getting results and uh, as far as the opening of the season because I don't think there was anything uh, really out of whack about his numbers to begin the season he started to see uh, has started to see a turnaround and maybe it's just a case of where I mean Maybe Zimmerman doesn't work quite as well when he's getting more strikeouts. Um, I'm not really sure how else to explain that. I'm sure you have a much more insightful way of looking at that.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's an interesting thing to say because he came up and he, he had all the strikeouts and he threw the slider a lot in his first go-around in the league and he didn't have a great ERA and he burned his arm out. And I think he sort of, sort of publicly said when he came back that I'm not going to go for the strikeouts. I'm going for you know efficiency and, and quick outs and... You know his numbers uh, were really great, but he never really had the strikeout numbers. So I don't, but I don't see there's there's no real numerical evidence that he's going back to his sort of slider heavy first approach that he was where he's trying to get strikeouts. I mean, um, none of his none of his percentages are, are crazy. So
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I, well as you say that um, I, I think that uh, I mean obviously there's a pitcher who. Began his career shortly, basically began his major league career shortly after he had Tommy John surgery. And uh, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, ultimately, I think if organizations want to get more out of their pitchers long term in general, I think that this is pro- probably a smarter way to go to encourage a lot of their pitchers to do this. I mean, we see, look, it's one hard thrower after another um, basically uh, laying down on the table for Dr. James Andrews. So, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, perhaps from that perspective, Jordan Zimmerman has always just had a very uh, kind of intellectual outlook on his career and is really more concerned with the long term. And I think that's a smart way to go. And maybe this is just kind of a short-term price he has to pay in terms of the results.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's not that easy. I mean, we see, you know, I wrote that interview with Kashner where he basically said, I, I'm choosing to, to, to throw the two-seamer more and, and go for ground balls and quicker outs and, he was saving himself pitches, and it was more efficient. But you know, he still still has the the, the the you know whatever it is in his elbow. So, you know, I think every pitch is bad for you. And yes, it's it's probably good to be more efficient. Uh, but I also know that the the batting average on a strikeout is zero. So, <laughs> you know, if you can somehow get strikeouts with without going to three and two every time, then that's really the the best way to do it.
0: That sounds like a good plan a <laughs> <laughs> uh, pitcher we want to talk about who's having a lot of success and probably pretty much unexpectedly is chris young uh uh and uh your in your notes to me when say you want to mention maybe he uh is along the uh the along the the lines of uh Jared Weaver, who is a kind of an underrated fly ball guy and uh just uh, want to give you an opportunity to elaborate on that because obviously Chris Young has really exceeded expectations to the point where maybe maybe Seattle has to you know, uh, question what to do with him as opposed to say, first up Ruinus Elias or somebody like that.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the, the radar gun says 86 and you know, I usually do my little pitch type peripheral game where I look and I say, Oh, we've got a 5% whiff rate on the four seamer he uses it a ton and his slider is below average. He gets an 8% whiff rate, you know, and this changeup is only eh with a 12%. So you know, stay away from this guy. He's got nothing. And uh and I think that would describe what most people think of Chris Young, but he, he really challenged me uh today on FanCrafts, uh, I wrote a piece about how he challenged me about the sort of things that we take for granted and he you know, I said I said, Well, you know, aren't you aren't you scared about um aren't you scared about pitching high in the zone because, you know, he's a highball guy? Doesn't that turn into homers? And you know, to be honest, and to be fair to myself, he's he has given up a lot of homers in his career. I mean, his 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 homer rate per nine is over one, <laughs> and that's you know that's more than you know your ground ballers will have. So he, he is giving that up, and for the most part, he's done a good job with control and just not having batters on because he has a, a low batting average in balls in play because he's an extreme fly ball guy. Um, but um, he actually questioned that idea that, that low balls go to grounders. And that led me on this whole thing where I discovered that a lot of low balls are turning into home runs. In terms, If you look at it in terms of home runs for fly ball, um, there is a spot low in the zone where there's a red part of the heat map where people are actually golfing shots out. So low and in is not that good of a place to pitch.
0: For left-handed hitters, I would assume?
1: For, right, for righties. For either side, just low and inside, oh, okay. they love it. And so um I guess you know for if you if you say, if I say to him oh is there a risk pitching up in the zone well he's trying to pitch up and in and if he gets too far like yeah there's a risk but if if uh, you could say the same thing to a guy who's a grounder guy who's pitching low in the zone if he if that drifts too far into that sort of happy you know yoke it out pull that pull spot or you can just golf it out then then you know your ground ball guy has the same risk so it's just about command within the zone, and I think he probably got that. He's also got extension, so he's this tall guy when the ball the ball comes out super close to you, and he has a little bit of deception in his delivery, so you just don't see the ball until too late, and 84, 85, 86 acts like 91, 92, um, and, and Eric Seidman did a great piece on that in terms of perceived velocity coming out of out of a guy's hand like that, but you know, do I think that Chris Young is a great pickup in the leagues? No, I don't. I don't think so. Maybe in in, in the deepest of leagues, um, you know, Seattle's a good spot for him for a homer happy guy like that. Um, but I do I do think that it, it 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 should make you rethink some things that you think about about pitchers. For example, fly balls are actually correlated with strikeouts. You know, high high, high ball pitchers usually get strikeouts. That's where the whiffs are and the and the, and the fly balls are. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking for a pitcher and you see they've got a high fly ball rate, it's not the be all and end all. And I, I think this would be a good segue here. You know, everyone's asking me about Colin McHugh. And if you look at Colin McHugh, you know, yes, he's got that. And yes, it's not the greatest thing in the world for a Houston pitcher to have a to have a bad fly ball rate. But. By he, What he did was he turfed his – he had a bad sinker that wasn't doing much for him. He turfed it, and now he's got a little bit more velocity. He's got a mile, an extra mile an hour on the four-seamer when he's not throwing the two-seamer. And all of his pitches now are good slash great. I mean, his changeup's not great, but it, it gets a lot of ground balls. So he gets ground balls with a changeup against lefties, and he, his four-seamer gets 10% whiffs. His slider gets 15% whiffs. His curve gets 20% whiffs. So here's a guy with uh, very good breakers, a change he can use for grounders, and a good four seamer that's that's averaging almost 93. So how much do you worry about that that fly ball rate? It only matters if he can't command the ball, and if he can't, you know, if he if if he's got three guys when he gets up the home run because. You know, he can give up and right now and over the course of he's had, you know, pretty good command. So yeah, do I think he's gonna have a two eighty URA? Again, no. But I actually will take um, the the rest of season projections, I'll take the under on all of them. Or I'll i t- I'll take I'll say they're gonna he's me be better than all of those because he's changed. He's changed the pitcher and we shouldn't hold his fly ball rate too harshly against him.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You say, I mean, I think that that's, uh, there, there are a lot of things, uh, that's kind of the one of the thing I, I, uh, I love, uh, that the, that the research of fan graphs is always changing or leading to new ideas. And I think that that's, I mean, for instance, some players like young and McHugh, uh, where it's excellent. I mean, ultimately what it boils down to is, you know, their, their ability to, uh, to, to be unpredictable to hitters and, and, uh, and, uh, their command and, and things like that go a long way toward that. And, uh, I mean, young is, is, I mean, like you said, because he's been such an extreme fly ball guy. And because me for instance, uh, with the, with the fly balls, I mean, obviously um, there, there's a, there's a tendency not necessarily to expect if they're, if they learn to command it properly and they're locating a well that uh, you don't necessarily expect the same kind of give back in BABIP that you would for other players. Chris Young has, for instance, a BABIP against some lifetime of around 250. um, and not necessarily you know, McHugh does not, but it's not necessarily say because of, like you said, I mean, the changes that he's made, maybe he's working toward becoming a pitcher somewhat similar, or I mean that there's, I mean, he's changing his class in a sense, or, or has that possibility. So, um, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think like when I, when I project players and, uh, when I examine them, things like that, it's not necessarily that the fly ball rate, uh, worries me a whole lot. There's so many things that go into it. And I think that, uh, and when you find out things like you said I mean as far as uh, the location and uh, you know certain types of pitches and what they result in I mean it just there's there's so many different things there's a, it that it's 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 helpful um, when you can classify pitchers and you know break them down in certain ways but um, because all pitchers are subtly different in so many different ways that it's uh, it's also a potentially dangerous thing it's not necessarily something we should immediately uh, you know the, immediately uh, kind of uh, cast a guy aside or whatever it is uh, because simply because of those uh, certain qualifications
1: yeah not every pitcher is going to be cliffly you yeah. know and not every pitcher that has pinpoint control can be cliffly Lee. Um, you know that and there's not every pitcher is going to be you darvish you know there's all these different ways to be successful um, and, and i think really what i'm trying to strive towards is kind of just a better understanding of how important certain flaws are and how important certain strengths are because the, there is, every pitcher is a mix of strengths and flaws and if you get too tied up in somebody's flaws you'll, you'll miss the good stuff i mean you know if you say oh mccue bad ground ball rate you know bad history well then you're missing the fact that he's changed fundamentally you look at Chris young and you say oh 84 mile an hour you know 35 year old then uh, you're missing the fact that he has a long track record of succeeding with minus velocity and uh, and 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 why would that be so it's uh, I think I love pitching because it's so I think it does this to you over and over again where it makes you it makes you rethink about people makes you makes you change how you feel about people and, and, and makes you reappraise your thoughts on baseball.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I, I kind of. Uh, I mean, I'm along the same lines. Um, we both, in in fantasy, uh, I don't want to say hate. That's such, such a strong word, but we d- we very strongly do not like to spend money on pitchers, and uh, it's for certain reasons, and uh, a lot of them health related. But uh, that uh, I mean things like this, and because pitching can be so unpredictable, a lot more so than hitting. Uh, and when it comes to players like this, and I think, uh, you know, Young is, I mean, like you said, Young, as far as fly balls go, um, you know, the fly balls, they tend to turn into outs more so than any other batted ball. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, they can, can correlate with strikeouts, perhaps. And, you know, if he's given up a lot of fly balls, but he's, you know, or I'm sorry, a lot of home runs, but a lot of them because he's preventing base runners or, you know, give up a lot of solo home runs. I mean, obviously, the walk rate is is, uh, negative in terms of him. But uh, regardless, I mean, um, I'm digressing much too much as far as Young goes because he's not worth that kind of time.
1: But but one thing you did bring up that's worth it is, I I mentioned this before, but the year-to-year correlation on on pitching projections is about 0.5, which means you're basically uh, flipping a coin. Yeah. (laughs) On hitting projections – is about 6.67, which means you're getting two out of every three right. And, uh, and that's a huge difference. Yeah. And that's why we spend – that's why we and, – and when you're talking first three-round guys, you almost always want those – you want to pick three hitters so that two of them are first-round talents, you know? And, and you don't want to spend a 50-50 pick that high up, or you don't want to spend $40 on a guy who might give you zero. So I think this is – I think it's really important, um, actually. And I think there was some movement in the industry, guys I really respect, like Chris Liss and, and uh, Mike Gianella and, and, and uh, Peter Koitzman, They were talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, certain, certain pitchers, you know, the, the top-end pitchers are returning well. But I don't know. I, I <laughs> think that pitchers are, are harder to project. And that means that there'll be a lot more surprises and there'll always be your Tyler Skaggs. I had this league. Okay, this is a lot. I don't want to, yeah, we are digressing too much. But I had this one league. We, we had 20 teams and we kept 28 players, right? So over 500 players were kept going into the draft. We still have a draft. We have like a, an eight-round draft or a 10-round draft at the end just to get up to 40-man rosters. So a 12-man draft. In the twelve picks that I had in that draft, I picked Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Richards, um, Jesse Chavez, uh, and then I also, you know, missed on uh, a couple, of Carlos Carrasco and Wandy e. Rodriguez. But I to that that describes my approach in baseball. These guys are all different. I picked Garrett Richards because of velocity. I picked Ga- Dallas Keuchel because. He, he turfed the bad curveball for a good slider. I picked uh, Jesse Chavez because he turfed a bad fastball for a cutter. You know, I picked Juanie Rodriguez because he pitched in the National League and nobody wanted him and it was like my final pick and I thought maybe the curveball still work. I picked Carlos Carrasco because he had four pitches that looked good by pitch type peripherals. So, you know, you can find different things that you like and you'll find undervalued pitchers. And you'll and you'll find some gems just by using quantity and I, by using the quantity approach, and I think that's the best reason for not investing too much in pitching.
0: I couldn't have put it better myself, and I probably wouldn't have been able to <laughs> I, I I totally agree I think that uh, I mean it's just uh, you, you put it extremely well and it just makes me want to talk about hitters instead because uh, I'm starting to get nauseated. Um, <laughs>
1: Well, let's let's do a couple before we leave.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, you know what? S- since we talked about hitters, I want to move to these. Uh, we had a couple of requests, and before we talk about any other hitters, I think it's uh, we should definitely talk about these. Uh, and uh, Both Austin Jackson and Oswaldo Garcia, they were a couple of requests in the last post. And uh, specifically about Austin Jackson is that, uh, I mean, fellow's concerned that uh, he's been hitting more fly balls. Uh, And his reduced K percentage, but and uh, understands that uh, you know with a lower BABIP uh, on more fly balls, is the is the BABIP going to rebound? uh, But also the reduction in strikeouts would seem to affect his BABIP positively. I mean, can we expect some sort of uh, positive regression there? Uh, Because he's he's increased the fly ball output, but he hasn't experienced the kind of power surge you might expect. And of course, he's running a little more often. That's just that comes with uh, the fact that uh, Jim Leland is not there anymore. But uh, he wonders how. Because the projections don't capture the change in his lineup spot well as far as uh, the outlook for him. What do we see going forward? Uh, and you know, do we see any, any kind of positive regression or any reason to think that uh, his output uh, in terms of fantasy output is going to be better uh, for the rest of the season?
1: So I think so. I think he's kind of poised for a breakout in a way. And uh, I, I see him um, this week. So it's actually a pretty fresh. I, I, I talked to him about all of these these issues, and I don't want to go on too long because the, the cast is getting a little bit long. but um, he did say when I asked him who was Osmus was the reason that, he, that he'd taken off so many more times this year. He said, no, he had a hamstring injury last year. and I didn't even, I don't even really remember hearing about it, but he played through a hamstring injury last year and he said that it affected him all year. And you can see in his defensive numbers, his range numbers went down. And he didn't steal. It was the career low in, in steal attempts and, and successful steals. And uh, I think it probably affected his his batting average a little bit. So um, I think he's fully healthy. Is that's a, that's a good sign. I like that the batted ball mix is skewing a little bit towards fly balls. He's deeper in the order. It might be good to to hit a couple home runs and drive some guys in instead of um, thinking about being a table setter. He's walking more. I mean, there's all the sort of peripheral stuff, you know, the swing strike rate is down. So that supports the idea that the strikeout rate is real. I think that he's just really set. I think he's, I think he's going to end up maybe with a 15, 20 season, which he's never done. So I think, I think it'll all work out for him in the end. And um, I'm excited for him. I, I don't think that, I don't really see anything to worry about too much.
0: Yeah, I uh, pretty much agree with all that. I think um, uh, I was pretty optimistic. I mean, obviously, uh, you talk about the number of plate appearances is is going to take a bit of a hit because of the change in the lineup spot. But, uh, I mean, overall, the opportunity to produce more RBIs and fewer, uh, maybe fewer runs, I mean, that's – you know that's kind of trade off. I, I I always want more RBIs, and he, the, I I'm primarily encouraged by the fact that uh, just really hasn't his lineup spot hasn't really changed, um, his uh his his opportunities to run. I think uh, I'm glad to see that the Tigers are still putting that to use, and that was you know that was kind of be expected now, now that uh, Smith is aboard. Um, I just yeah. I've, I agree with all that. I think that uh, overall it's, it's looking up. It just, it's, I think it's just something that hasn't quite clicked for him yet. And, um, I think it's, you know, sooner or later, I think, I think it's just around the corner. Um, and, and I, I'd, I'd be pretty excited to be a Jackson owner. And, uh, if, you know, somebody was willing to, or looking to trade him, I would, I would be happy to take him on and, and, uh, take on the chance that, that, it uh, comes pretty soon.
1: Yeah,
0: what was the other name that we're we talking about? Uh, Oswaldo Arcia. Um, rest of season outlook and maybe even career outlook uh, as far as he goes. Obviously, probably some expectations um, uh, with him coming into the season. He had a pretty good debut uh, last year, and uh, but obviously dealing with some more wrist soreness, then the movement to the disabled list, then the uh, the demotion. Uh, now recent call up, and he I think he homered in his first game up. Uh, just to, you know, what is it? A lot of up and down for this guy. Um, what do we think is going to happen for him rest of the season and uh, you know, perhaps even career outlook?
1: The, the, the problem I have with RC is just that it, it seems to me like he's a, I don't want to call him just a one-category guy, but maybe a one-tooler in that I think that he's a power guy. And he's a power guy in a bad part for power. So, that makes me nervous about him now and in the future. Obviously, Willingham's made it work. Arcia's career ISO is 184, so he's on the cusp of making it work. I just, I, I have a feeling that it might be tough at first, and then when he really clicks, it, it won't matter what park he's in. But you know, he's not going to be an asset in batting average. He's not going to be an asset in on-base percentage. He's not going to steal you any bases. So you're waiting for power and power is the thing that stabilizes last. So it's, it's kind of a, a killer in terms of fantasy where you're kind of waiting around to, to know if the power is for real or not. And you just can't know until you wait around. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think, and, and uh, Minnesota actually kills left-handed power. I think it, I want I don't know if it plays neutrally for right-handed power, but it's, it's certainly a lot closer to that than, in, than left-handed power or at least pull power or anything like that. I think that's, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, rest of, se- or, you know, rest of season outlook is, pr- I mean, it could end up, I mean, he could end up with numbers that look just like last season's, and I don't think there's any reason to think that that's not necessarily the case unless health enters the picture again as far as the wrist goes and things like that. I don't know the, the the true nature of the details as far as his wrist injury went. It was a little discon- just discouraging considering that last season ended with him dealing with some wrist pain, wrist soreness, whatever, whatever the, they wanted to call it. Um, and I don't know if it, it turned out to be anything worse, but it lasted for a while and for it to pop up, I think maybe it was in the other wrist this time. I'm not sure, but, uh, it was a little discouraging and maybe there's, there's something, uh, something more wrong there. I don't, I don't, I don't know that for certain, so don't, uh, automatically panic, but I mean, I don't see any reason that he can't end up with a line that looks like last year's, which is not great numbers. I mean, it's, it plays in mixed leagues for a little while, but it's not somebody I would be just, dis- uh, destroyed feeling about if I dropped him or something like that, uh, when it went cold. But um,
1: James Park is basically identical to A's Park in terms of Odeco, the Coliseum, in terms of uh, home runs by lefties and righties. So both parks play almost neutral for home runs by righties, but just totally murder home runs by lefties. Now, obviously, Brandon Moss does not care for your park factory. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah, (laughs) but... uh, you know Brandon Moss, pretty special situation, and also, I mean, to be fair, Brandon Moss it took him a long time to get where he is. It did. So I I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of a meandering career path for Arcia, where he was up and down a little bit, and there were lots lots of hand hand ringing about whether or not he'd make it. And, and you know, for what's worth, he's not in the right bus uh, uh, bins, as I put it, uh, because he's he'd never had a good walk rate. Well. He had some okay walk rates at times. I'm sort of surprised by his walk rates in the minor leagues, but uh, he did strike out a little bit much. So I wouldn't put him in the, in a, you know, in the, a Mookie Betts type uh, a bust bin where his floor is really high. I think uh, RC is a bit of boom or bust. Either he figures it out and he hits 25, 30 homers with a 260 average and, you know, gives you a little bit of a young Willingham or something, or, um, or he busts completely and, and the, and the power suppresses suppresses in that park and he strikes out too much. and He's uh, not useful to us in the future.
0: Yep. And uh, I think uh, if I'm thinking Oswaldo or, or see a keeper league, I'm thinking, man, I hope that they trade him to the White Sox or the Reds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all righty. Um, do we want to get to any of these uh, these? Final guys before we cut it out? I mean, obviously, we had some, some interesting things to talk about. We did mention the Eric Hosmer, uh, Royals' new hitting coach. We can talk about that very briefly uh, before we close things out.
1: Um, you know, there was actually some change in swing plane last year uh, for some of the hitters. There was definitely some ground ball and fly ball changes that came after, I think it was, um, did like Brett Butler take over? Is there.
0: I'm not sure, but I know Swaim Swaim replaced um some guy I'd never heard of before, so I'm not sure how that fellow even got the job. i will be happy to look that up for you here in a moment.
1: I mean, the point is they're running through it and you know, running through different hitting coaches, and there can be a little bit of a change. I think ground ball, fly ball mix sometimes with hitting coaches, and I actually do think that if anybody could help have, have some help with their swing plan, it would be. I just, yeah, uh, if that's if that there there is a possibility that some, something happens there, or it kind of you know gives them a little you know gives Hosmer a little bit of a bite in the ass, you know, like oh you know this is my fifth hitting coach, maybe <laughs> this something to do with me, <laughs> maybe. Um, so I, I I I like Eric Hosmer as much as I ever have. I still think of him as like a two eighty two ninety hitter with fifteen homers. And I did caution people that the, the stolen bases would start to disappear uh, because stolen bases disappear really quickly. So, um, you know, he doesn't have a stolen base this year. I doubt he'll finish with much more than six or seven. Uh, but I still think he can get to 13, 14, 15 homers like he always does and be a low-end uh, first base slash utility option in all leagues.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree. Uh, Pedro Grifal, uh, former hitting coach, and he's been reassigned. I believe now, uh, uh, last I saw, I think he's been assigned to be the uh, uh, catcher catching instructor, um, which is, I don't know what that says about him. But uh, <laughs> I, I Because
1: he'll be on the same team. Yeah. <laughs> hitting coach. And I wonder if he'll ever overhear the guys saying, like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> 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 Who
0: told you to do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, I think it's, I think it's, always, and to, to put, I mean, I've, I've always been kind of a big picture thinker. Well, no, I shouldn't say always, but I've, I've basically kind of turned myself into pretty much a big picture thinker. I mean, I, I, I always like to look at as much information as possible. And I think, it, and I mean, take a step back and look at Hosmer and, and I mean, uh he he i don't think he ever sucked before he joined the Royals and they've changed hitting coaches a lot i mean it just seems like maybe there is 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 there major league instruction and uh whatever it is or maybe the fact that they even have major league instruction they tinker too much whatever you know is a possibility there i mean he you know he killed it uh upon his promotion as as a rookie and uh pretty much after that is kind of been disappointing us, and not that we ever thought... I mean, I don't think anybody ever thought he was going to be a 30-35 to 35 home run, or a 35-plus, anything like that guy, but uh, uh, that he more consistently approached those numbers. Um, I mean, it's just... Uh, it, it makes me wonder. I mean, for, for a long time, I guess, I think it's the, the Royals have provided ways for us to uh, to make their, um, their results and the majors doubtable uh, for one reason or another. So...
1: That sounds like a good place to end <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't draft royals i think that's the i think that's that's my advice yes yeah, so, well uh, thank you for joining us for episode number one twenty two um uh, we We hope that this experience has been much better than uh episode 121's. um and we look forward to serving you much more in episode one twenty three plus
1: <laughs> well hopefully the quality we figured out the quality and uh how to how to post everything correctly and um, and and thanks for sticking with us.
0: Yes, thank you all very much. And uh, again, we you know, any errors we have come across this time, we will certainly be looking to fix even more so next time. It's uh, one step at a time.
1: <laughs> baby steps, baby.
0: Yes, thank you.